2015, there were a total of 11,774 terrorist attacks. These took place worldwide and over 28,000 deaths. In the same year, more than 12,000 people were kidnapped or taken hostage. Just a reviewing of recent attacks upon from one human being to another. On March 22nd of 2017, this year, an attack in Westminster, right outside of Parliament. April 7th, 2017, an attack in Stockholm. April 20th of this year, an attack in Paris. And then even as recently as the last week, an attack in Manchester where 22 were killed and 59 injured. This is just a small sample size of the unrest and hatred that we are surrounded by in this world. The Bible describes our world as being in the grip of or in the lap of the evil one. The Bible describes our world that it is influenced by and a manifestation of the kingdom of darkness. With all of the hate, conflict, and anxiety in the world, the love of God should shine as a ray of hope. As anxieties build and conflicts increase and terror attacks continue, the love of Christ should shine as something people can grip onto in the midst of this crazy world that we live in. We've been studying through the second half of Galatians chapter 5, and we've seen that our freedom in Christ is not to be used to indulge our flesh but rather for us to lovingly serve one another. In verse 16, we were given the key to such an action. We tried to understand last week that when we walk in the Spirit, our natural passions will still be active and alluring us to indulge ourselves. But the Spirit can enable us to keep from pulling the trigger. We also noted that the conflict that is inside of us between our flesh, our natural affections, and the spirit who is at war against those natural affections and those natural affections that are at war against the, the spirit, those, that opposition or conflict is a revelation of spiritual life. That's good news if you are conflicted in your inner man. And finally, we noted that when we are living by the Spirit, God's truth is being demonstrated in our lives. That could not be any more important. When we are walking in the power of the Spirit or living by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, the truth of God's Word, the law, as it were, is being demonstrated in our lives. I cannot at the same time say, I'm walking with the Lord while stealing from my neighbor. I cannot at the same time say, I'm walking with the Lord and lie to my wife. I'm walking with the Lord and I'm envious of someone else. I'm walking with the Lord and I'm walking with the Lord and when we walk with the Lord, it means we're empowered by the God of the universe. And when we're empowered by the God of the universe, those things that are right and true and holy are demonstrated in our lives. That is what is at the forefront of our discussion this week. And we are, we're actually going to pause over the coming weeks and take our time in this section where we are going to see how God's Spirit in us demonstrates God's character in these vitally important 
aspects of the evidence of the Spirit. So as we study this morning, we're going to look back, uh, we're going to look at what God is accomplishing in the lives of people who are yielded to the Spirit or walking in the Spirit. Look at what it says in verses 22 and 23 of Galatians chapter 5. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law you, you know how at the end of verse 21 it says or actually in, in the in the middle of it envy drunkenness orgies and things like these so like that's not the end of the description so also the fruit of the spirit ends similarly look at what it says again at the end of verse 23 against such things, these kinds of things, there is no law. That means that that's just, it's a sample list and there's more abundant ways in which it's displayed. As we look at this subject this morning and in coming weeks, one of the things we have to recognize is that God doesn't simply produce good things in our lives. He doesn't simply produce good things, though what he produces is good. The fruit of the Spirit, the word fruit is karpos, is, the term is the fruit of a tree, or the product that comes out of something. The, the, the good things that God produces in us are manifestations of his very character and nature. So it's not like, okay, we, we become saved and we're walking in the Spirit and God makes us good little doobies. That's good. We want good things to take place, but that's not the end of it. It's not for goodness sake. You know that song? It's for the manifestation of God's character. So the fruit of the Spirit is a demonstration of God's activity. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that God is alive. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of God's active presence. The fruit of the Spirit demonstrates that God in His person is, is here and manifesting Himself and in some ways a very clear picture of His kingdom. When we think about the term fruit or the fruit of the Spirit, I want you to think about just the agricultural concept. If you were to go outside here and look at a, a, a very nice tree that had flowers on it, and you thought, boy, I love that. That's really pretty. And you thought, I want that. I'm going to take it. And you got out a, a little pruner. You grabbed the, the, the branch, and you snipped it off. And you thought, this is so pretty. And you brought it home, and you stuck it in some water, It'd hang out for a little while, wouldn't it? But for how long? How long? Well, 40, however long it is, right? At some point, you'll start to see some wilting of the flowers and the leaves. It's already begun the process of decay. What is the source of the fruitfulness of that flowering branch? The tree... And the roots and the soil and the photosynthesis, use my great science word, all of this takes place because it's attached. The branch cannot produce fruit unless it is attached to the source of its life. What is the source of fruitfulness in the believer's life? That's the, the, the basic answer to start with is God. More specifically, we'll use the term that Jesus did in John 15. Abide in me, and I in you. As you abide in me, you'll bear what? Much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And here, 
Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, advances this from God and from Christ to the Spirit who dwells within us, applying the work and life of Christ into our lives so that as the Spirit is actively working in us, the fruit of God's very nature is demonstrated through us. The Spirit is producing something, some fruitful activities in the lives of God's people that walk with Him, and that fruit is God's character. That fruit is God's nature. Remember that man was made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27. God wanted man to demonstrate his dominion on the earth as he bore God's image and there was a manifestation of God's kingdom. You'll remember in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve, rather than bearing God's image, chose to bear their own image by choosing something that would make them on par with God. At least that's what they thought. They were wrong. By eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the behest of the serpent, Satan. And God's image was marred in their lives and in the subsequent descendants that came from them. God's work of redemption is a work of restoring God's image in his people. I want you to think about this. God's work of redemption that's rescuing us, buying us out of our slavery to sin and the condemnation that comes from that slavery to sin and the judgment that comes from that sin, a judgment that is eternal in the lake of fire. God redeems us by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He buys us, purchases us for himself. He signs his name to us. You know he did that? He did that when he put his spirit in us. He calls it the seal of the spirit. It's a, it's a signature. It's a, it's a sign of God's ownership of us. By placing his spirit in us, he says, this one belongs to me. So God redeems us, and in placing his spirit into us, when a person is yielded to the spirit who dwells within them as a believer, there is a demonstration of that image that God originally placed in man, the image of God. Through redemption, God is restoring his image in his people. So as we look at the fruit of the spirit, Today and in coming weeks, we want to see these characteristics of the Spirit's work as demonstrations of God's character in our lives. And this morning, we will just focus in on one. I wonder which one. Maybe the one at the beginning of the list. It says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is, say it, love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, we, we know from the scriptures, that God is love. God is love. Hold your hand here. Actually, you don't, you don't need to hold your hand in here. You, everyone can memorize this. Ready? Let's memorize it together. Ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You got it? I think it's memorized. Good job. Give yourself an attaboy. Take, take a look, please, at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, very straightforward statement. We're going to be coming back to 1 John 4 toward the end of our time together this morning. For now, we're just going to read verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is defining himself. He's saying that God doesn't just love, God is love. All right, well, that's good information. We know this is God's character. This is God's nature. Now, what we want to notice is some realities about that kind of love because the love that the Spirit is going to produce in the life of a Christian that is walking in the Spirit is not just love generically, but love specifically. And what specific love is that? It is the love that God himself is. It's not some love that we learn in school. It's not some love that we learn by even reading a passage. It's God's very character and nature as love. 
And so we have to understand what that love is like. So with that being said, turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 3. First of all, the first characteristic that we want to notice about God's love, and this will not be exhaustive for any, by any means, just some characteristics of God's love. The first one is God's love is a giving, sacrificial love. God's love is a giving, sacrificial love. We're in John chapter 3 and in verse 16. This is absolutely common to us. We, we probably know John 3.16. If you don't, I would recommend today going home and memorizing it. It will not take you long. It, is, it flows nicely, and the truth of it will resound within your spirit. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God, with this great abundance, loved the world. God in this way demonstrates his love to the world that he gave his only son. Whatever else you understand from John 3.16, one thing you have to know. When God loved, he gave. And that giving was not at no cost. We get so used to hearing about God giving his son. We get used, so used to knowing that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sin. Sometimes it can lose its profound impact. Think about your child. Think about some scrub that hates you, that would curse you to your face, and if they could, they would stab you in the back. And now think of taking your son or your daughter and saying, I'll sacrifice them for this guy that hates me. This is exactly what God has done. The Bible describes me before my salvation as fully captivated by my sin as indulging my own passions and it describes me as an enemy of the cross of Christ and as an enemy of the cross I'm an enemy of God I put myself in the position of enmity no you will not rule over me and God in his love knowing all of this before he breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve chose to send his son to bear my sin and my shame and my guilt. My sin would never be attributed to me, but instead I would receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus and the gift of eternal life. This is the character of God. This is who God is. This is not just something God did. This is who God is. God is love. And he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is love. God is love. As we follow this concept a little further, God's love is not earned by my merit. God's love is not earned by my merit. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is manifest. It shows itself forth. It's a continual testimony. God's love is continually declared. 
in the fact that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Okay? I'd like you to look, please, at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. All the way back to the beginning of your Bibles, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy, and I'd like you to turn to chapter 7, please. God's love is not earned by my merit. This has always been the case, and it will always be the case. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 6, the Bible says, speaking about God's people of Israel who are about to enter into the promised land, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. How many were they? How many? You ready? I'm going to try to say this dramatically. Zero. There were none of them. Did you know that? Abraham was not a born as a, an Israelite. And God took him and made him into a nation. That's as few as few gets. Zero. You know that? <laughs> you don't, there might be some mathematical formula that's less than zero. I reject it. <laughs> if you got nothing, you've got nothing. Which is why at the end of the year, when the accountants have to put down a report, the lowest thing they can really put legitimately is a zero. The people of Israel were nothing, zero, and God made them a people. Verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What does this tell you? What does it tell me? God, dwelling in heaven above, says, I'm going to love Abraham. Abram at the time. And I'm going to turn Abram into the beginning of a, a great nation. And I'm going to love them. This is the benevolence of who God is. He didn't earn it, and he didn't deserve it. And as we come to our New Testaments and we look at a passage that we already read and was on the screen, Romans 5, he does the same thing with us. I didn't earn anything. I didn't deserve anything. I'm still a sinner. I was a sinner at birth, and I'm a sinner by choice. And in the face of my rejection and rebellion and enmity with God, God said, I love you. God's love is not earned. You know what else is true about God's love? It's pretty precious. God's love is not forfeited. God's love is not forfeited. How many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven times? No. Seventy times seven. And he didn't actually tell you to start taking a chart. Well, I got up to 489... You better watch out. The next one's it. It's not what he meant, right? What is that love, that forgiveness, what does that come out of? It comes out of a, the heart of God's love. Because this is who he is. This is why when we read a passage like 1 John 1, 9, we really just stand back and say, wow. It says, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. To do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say, unless you go too far. Unless you go too far. If you cross a certain threshold, a certain kind of sin, a certain number of sins, 
a threshold. If you, if you cross over that, I'll be done forgiving you. I'll be done cleansing you. That's not what he says. He's faithful. It means every time. And he's just. It means that there was a payment that was rightly issued. And I'm so impressed. I, I hope you are impressed when you read things like this. And, and, and I, Sometimes we have verses that we memorize, and because we memorize them, we don't always put them in the context. And so we might read Jeremiah 3, uh, 31, 3, which will be on the screen in front of you. And we might read it and not understand what else is going on. It says, the Lord appeared to him from far away. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Now, that's impressive, just reading the words. Yes? Like, you could write that on your refrigerator in um, indelible ink, and you would not, like, wish that you hadn't written it there. I mean, you might if you want to sell it or something, but you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say, that's passe. Let me write that off and write something different. You could get a plaque of that, and you'd be pretty happy. But, you know, when you put it in its context, it, like, it, it shoots through the roof. What's going on in the book of Jeremiah when God writes Jeremiah 31.3? The people are in a captivity from the Babylonians. And they're not there because some strong army rose up and overtook them, and that's the end of the story. They're in Babylon because of their continuous rejection of God. They're in Babylon because they, they despised the commandments of the Lord. And with a strong arm and an uplifted soul, they day in and day out rebelled against God. They refused to obey him. And God warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them, and then he did what he said he would do because he's faithful. So he brings the Babylonians, he raises up the Babylonians for this very purpose, and he carries the Israelites into captivity for 70 years. And they're there in their captivity. And God is reminding them of their waywardness, and he's reminding them of his faithfulness and his love. And even though they were experiencing the just judgment for the rebellion, God says, hey, I'm not done loving you yet. In fact, I'm not done loving you. I will not be done loving you. I am love. His nature is love. It's who he is. And you can't forfeit it. All right, well, that's good. It's a good illustration, right? Now let's look at a doctrine. A doctrine. Look at the book of Romans, chapter 8, for a moment. I'm pretty sure that one time after a, some event, our former president read this passage. And I was um, kind of shocked out of my mind that he did. I'm not going any further with the, the, the president part of it, um, other than to say, sometimes we read passages like this and we don't actually believe what it says. And what I don't want is for anyone here to hear this, read this, say, oh, that's really nice, and not believe what it says. In Romans chapter 8, it is glorious. It begins with no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It talks about the Spirit and how the Spirit can uh, rid us of the deeds of the body. It talks about how God's law is fulfilled in us. All kinds of great stuff going on. It talks about the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're the children of God, that, that through that Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father, that, that we are joint heirs with Christ. All these great concepts are going on. It talks about suffering and how it's, it's really readying us for glory and how glory will be sweeter because we suffer here. It doesn't always feel like it, but we know it's true. Uh, he tells us that right now the, the creation is groaning and the children are groaning. We're, we're all groaning together as, as we bear with life and the things that are going on. And it ends with this sweet note beginning in verse 31. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The one who could condemn us is praying for us. That's good news, isn't it? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. You get it yet? We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love is not forfeited. It's not forfeited. You can't run fast enough. You can't run far enough. God's love is not forfeited. His love is a relentless, pursuing love. His love is a, an encompassing love. You can't run from Him. God is love. God being love, His love is a giving, sacrificial love, and it's not earned, and it can't be forfeited. This is God's love, because this is who God is. All right, well, why did we just have a theology lesson on God's love? Folks, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're not talking about being good people. Being good people is great. I want good people. I want to be a good person. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God's very character on display in the life of people. So, if we're going to hold ourselves to some standard of what love is, it had better be the right standard. If the Spirit is going to produce love in a believer, He's going to produce this kind of love that we just spoke about. A giving, sacrificial love. A love that does not have to be earned, and a love that is not forfeited Folks, can you see the application of this in your husband-wife relationship? Yes? Oh, we fell in love and we fell out of love. Can you see the application of this in your parenting? Listen, the reason that everyone is so familiar with the prodigal son is because many people have experienced what that's like. Someone not doing what we raised them to do. And it's heart-crushing and heart-rending. It can really do a great bit of damage to our soul. But real love isn't forfeited because real love wasn't earned. Here that baby comes out of the womb and you look at it and it looks at you and it really could care less about you. Did you know that? It learns to like you, but it doesn't care. Feed me! No! Change me now. I don't want to sleep now. You know all about it. The thing doesn't love you. That baby doesn't love you. You love it. If you're normal. Not, not, I just didn't mean that as funny. Because there are some people that don't love their baby. So, I don't, you know. Let's just move beyond that. If we can. Most of us love that baby. They didn't do anything to earn it. 
And then as life goes on, it, you know, there are things that the baby does, and we, and we love the baby more, and it loves us, and all these great things. And then maybe something goes wrong, and they head for the hills. Folks, we need the supernatural love. We need the love of God that recognizes that they didn't earn it, and they don't deserve it, and they're not, they're not going to forfeit it either. I'm just going to love them. I'm going to love them. I'll love them God's way, and, and I really can't, so I had, better, I had better surrender my will to the Lord so that I can love them even in the face of their rebellion, even when they're rebelling to my face. That's really hard, isn't it? Can you see how it applies? This, this God giving you the spirit that you can demonstrate a love that you, you could not muster this. You can't learn this in Bible school. It's supernatural, which is our second point. God's children have been given the capacity to love with his supernatural love. All mankind can love. We all have a capacity for love. However, only those who have been made spiritually alive can demonstrate God's love. It is qualitatively different. The quality is different. It is a supernatural love. Only those who have been made alive spiritually can exhibit that love. In 1 John 4, 19, the Bible says, We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Here in Romans 8, take a look at Romans chapter 5 for a moment. In chapter 4, he just talked about being justified by faith. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So these great subjects going on here. Justification, God removing our sin, giving us Jesus' righteousness, a, a unity with God, an eternal state with God. This is great, right? Everything's good. And then he tells us one of the great benefits that takes place in the life of a believer who has been justified by faith. Verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't it interesting how he says that God's love has been poured out through a person? Who is that person? The Holy Spirit. Who consequently is God? Who consequently is love? You get that? God benevolently, lovingly pours out himself into a believer who is himself, God, who is God. God, the, the Spirit is God dwelling in us, and God is love. God's love has been poured into us by the Spirit who dwells within us. We have a capacity to love with the love we've just discussed. Uh, selfless, sacrificial, giving love that is not earned and is not forfeited. You and I do not have to settle for something less. We can't. We can't settle for less. Remember, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of you. You're not going to become God, and you're not going to become love. God's Spirit dwells in you, and as you walk by the Spirit, God's character, love, will be displayed in your life. This is what we need, folks. So, thirdly, and finally, a demonstration of God's love is a demonstration of God. I want you to think bigger than loving at a moment I want you to think bigger than being good. I want you to think bigger than an act of love, or seven acts of love, or a string of seven acts of love. 49 loves, 56 loves. I'm talking about something far better than this. Loving with God's love is, is God demonstrating himself in you. This is far greater than doing something good. Think about what this is talking about. God sees a rotten, rebellious person. That's me. And he says, I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to claim him for myself. I'm going to love that guy. I'm going to place my spirit in that guy. And I'm going to make him demonstrate my character. That's, that's pretty intense. And yet this is exactly why God redeems us. So he can be on display in your house, in your work site, at school, in the church, at the grocery store, at the soccer game, the baseball game, the hockey game, whatever game, the knitting tournament, at the agricultural conference, the book tournament, whatever it is you do, kayaking club, cooking conference, I don't know what your thing is. You've got some thing. Wherever you are, God wants to demonstrate who he is in you, through you, there. That's good news. Take a, take a look. Back in First uh, John chapter 4, be our last text that we turn to. A demonstration of God's love is a demonstration of God. I like how God is nifty in his, the way he words things and, and he uses a penman. John the Apostle is kind of nifty in how he writes this section. You'll see what I mean. Maybe you already know what I mean, but you'll see what I mean as we read it. Verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now here's what I mean by the nifty. Take a look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Okay, that, that's true. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. All right. God's not seen. Yes, we got that. If God's love dwells in us, it abides in us. If God abides in us, his love is perfected in us. What does he mean? Like, he's saying real deal, real love, supernatural love, God's love. If God abides in us, and we're abiding in him, walking in him, his love, his real love is demonstrated in us. And he already told us in verse 8 that God is love. So what is he telling us by saying no one's seen God at any time, but if we abide in him and his love is perfected in us, what he's telling us is, but there he is. God will demonstrate himself. Even though no one will get their eyes on him in this life, they can see God as his love is perfected in us. He goes on in verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the, his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, he's not talking about generic love. He's talking about specific love, God's love. Whoever abides in God's love abides in God, and God abides in him. God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because, listen carefully, as he is, so also are we in this world. What does he mean? Abide in Christ. Abide in the Spirit. Abide in God. Walk with God. His love will be on display 
And what will actually take place is we will do the things moralistically, scripturally, that God would do. That doesn't mean we have his power to heal. doesn't mean that we have the power to cast out demons. That's not what the point of this passage is. The point is, as God's character would act, so we act in the world right now. So what's, what's going on? This is talking about being empowered by the Spirit and demonstrating God's person. So we're going to look through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, faith, meekness, temperance, and, and the like. Against such there is no law. We're going to look at these things and look at them individually, but we're also going to look at the reality that as this is taking place, it is a demonstration of God's character. It's who he is. So we have a great opportunity. When a person comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior, God gives spiritual life. We're born again. It's supernatural. You and I cannot produce this spiritual life. We can't yearn hard enough for it. We can't earn it. It is a gift of God through his marvelous grace. This spiritual life is available because of what God did through Jesus Christ in his birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The spiritual life that God offers us is completely a result of what God has done through Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. John the Apostle, in writing the Gospel of John, said, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When a person trusts Jesus, he is made alive, spiritually alive. He receives the Spirit and is given the capacity to love with God's love. And this love shows God's character. In a world where conflict, angst, and hatred are the environment, God has given us the opportunity to counter the atmosphere that we live in. Not with more conflict, but with love. His love. What does that love look like? We've talked about it. Verse 9 captures it. Look what he says in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was revealed among us. That God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means a settlement of God's wrath against our sin. God's love was demonstrated in that he was willing to, to pay for me. He's willing to pay for you to bear your sin, your iniquity, your guilt. The question, first, is have you trusted Jesus Christ? Have your sins been removed? Has Jesus' righteousness been placed on your account? And you know you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. If the answer to that is yes, then I tell you, at the moment that that took place, whenever it took place, God placed his spirit in you and said, I, you're mine. He didn't do that haphazardly. He did it for a purpose. The purpose is so that he would display himself in you and through you in a world that does not see God. They have access. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. They have access, but they don't see him. His love must be manifest in our lives so the world can see that God's love has been perfected among us. And that perfect love is a demonstration of his character. God is alive and God is well. God is declared and demonstrated in us. 
the question we have to ask ourselves if we are believers is, is God's love on display in me? It's supernatural. It's his work. If my love is different than the kind we discussed this morning, then maybe our love is just a secular kind of love. It's not a supernatural kind of love. If our love is different than the kind we discussed this morning, it is evidence, folks, that rather than yielding ourselves to the Spirit and allowing Him to keep us from pulling the trigger to indulge the lusts of our natural affections, we have not yielded to the Spirit and we have crafted for ourselves our own way. If you're a believer, you have everything you need for God to display himself in you. Do not settle for anything less. When you see a counterfeit or a lesser love, say, God, I am not yielded to you. I'm having a hard time forgiving. I'm having a hard time not being jealous. I'm having a hard time not being envious. I'm having a hard time not being resentful and bitter. Please, crucify my natural affections. Put them to death. Give me your love. I know it's there. I know it's available. I know your spirit dwells in me. Bring it forth and don't settle for anything less. A demonstration of God is on the line. Not just being a good person, not someone thinking highly of you, a display of God himself. And that's what this world needs. They need it. Your home needs it. Your workplace needs it. This body needs it. Everywhere we are, this is the first order of business. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to see when our love is not your supernatural love. Help us to see when our natural affections are ruling us so that we might yield, we might repent, we might allow you to demonstrate yourself in us. Father, it is such a privilege to know that you're dwelling in us and that you are willing and desirous to demonstrate yourself in us. Father, please help us to see what is competing for our affections so that we will not yield to them by your grace. May the world see your love and your character in us for your glory and for their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.